And uh, guys, this morning I just really want to uh, just pick up from where I started off the other day, and it's just, it's it's a message that I, that for me I'm, I'm continually processing myself, and uh, I'm journeying through this myself, and uh, and uh, so it's pretty exciting, really. And uh, but let's uh, let's just pick up in Mark chapter two. And remember the, the other week we talked about the paralyzed man. I want to pick up that again, except we're going to just going to change and come on, come at it from a different angle. It's so a Mark chapter two and verse one. And Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, and the news spread quickly that he was back home or that he was in the house. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room. Everyone say no more room. There was no more room. It's a full house. Even outside the door. There were people out there. So while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. And so what they did was they got up and they dug a hole in the roof above his head and they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And Jesus, seeing their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them in their heart, why do you reason like this? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. And so Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, go home. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through with a stunned onlookers, they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we have never, ever seen anything like this before. How many believe that God is in the transformation business? We have never, ever seen anything like this before. And uh, one of the things I'm believing is for my own life and for your life is that we continue to develop into a place. We continue to come to that place. We have never seen anything like this before. And uh, so this is a, a just just in the constraint of time, I just really want to just get into that this morning. So one of the things that we notice here that we came to a place where Jesus, uh, where Jesus was but couldn't get near him. So Jesus was what? He was in the house. He was basically right in the center of house. The house was full. In other words, the house could not contain the demand or the need. The house could not contain the demand or the need of the people or what was happening in society. So what we're talking about is Jesus was inside a structure, but the structure could not contain what Jesus wanted to do. Jesus was in a structure, but the structure could not contain. And so it goes on to say, so one of the things I really want to look at the idea this morning, I want to look at the idea of structure because it's such an iconic and significant element of the whole story. For example, if you look, the whole, the whole concept of that story, the thing that makes the story completely unique is the fact that people had to dig a hole in the roof. If you took that element out of the story, what would the story be? It would just be four men brought a person to Jesus and he got healed. But there was something about the structure, there was something about the house that makes the story the story. Do you know what I'm saying? If that wasn't there what would it be like? It'd be like, oh, okay, well, that's just kind of another story. But the fact that there was something that had to be broken through creates a whole new different element to the story. Do you know what I'm saying? So if that component was the, wasn't there, the story would not be the same. 
However, it is there, it's, what I'm saying is if, if this story wouldn't be the same. It is there that the story is told in three Gospels. So the fact that the story is th- told in three different Gospels tells us that there's something significant about the story. It is the core element of the story that produced the faith that impressed Jesus. So if the structure or the, cons- the constraint was not there, it would not have likely produced the faith that Jesus said when, I th- when he saw their faith. Right? So if that was taken out, would there have been any faith? Well, that's debatable. But it's unlikely. The fact that there was a structure there produced the faith which impressed Jesus. Right? So one of the things I just want to talk about a little bit this morning is these things are really, really important. Remember how we approach a story like in this in Scripture. We need to be wearing the right lenses in order to see it. If you just see the story as just a narrative, You'll just see it as a nice story. But in, fa- but in fact, stories like this are written in a way, and you've got to look at them in the, right, in the context in which it is written. So in approaching Scripture, often we have to look at it symbolically. What does this mean? Is it just the fact that it's a nice story and Jesus raised the faith of a few guys? No, there's much more to it than that. One of the, one of the ways we can look at Scripture, especially parables and stories like this, is we need to break down... What are the symbolisms in there, and what does this mean? And then how do I apply it to my life? Who am I in that story? Where do I fit in this story? Which person am I in there? And all of us will find ourselves in there somewhere. But in this particular case, there seems to be a great emphasis on the structure. And this is one of the things I want to talk about. Let's talk about structure, for example. What is structure? What is it there for? What does it do? Structure, what, is it, what are some things it could possibly do? It could provide boundaries. It can provide support. It can provide defense, right? protection. There are structures all around us. I mean, our whole world is structured. For example, if you, one of the ways, one of the reminders that you get every, every year or every three months that there's a structure in place is your rates bill. Right? It's a reminder, you can't always actually see it, but every day you benefit because of something that has been set in place. Right? Can you imagine what it would be like if, if that particular piece of structure was not there? How would you get your water? What would you do if that wasn't there? So structures are all part of our life. There are tangible structures and there are intangible structures. There are external structures and there are internal structures. Everywhere you look, you, we find in society, society is made up of systems and structures. That's how it is. Systems and structures bring order to disorder. If you think about, about God, one of the first things he did, one of the first things he did, when the Bible says, at the beginning there was, uh, there was God and darkness covered the face of the earth. Right? The word darkness talked about chaos. Actually, the earth was in a place of disorder. So the whole concept of creation was about bringing order and about bringing, about bringing structure into the world that separated light from the darkness. The whole Bible is full of it. All of us, so all around society, we look at certain types of structures. So you see, some are used to support, some are used to connect. Some are used to organize, some are used to defend. So there are tangible structures and there are intangible structures. 
there are external intangibles, and there are there's structures everywhere. I mean, yeah, so I don't really want to labor on that right now, but one of the things in this story, there are three structures you see that are challenged and then changed. One of the things that you notice about structure is that it's, sometimes it's good for a while, and then when the context or when the environment changes, all of a sudden structures become obsolete. And one of the things that you'll find is when we, uh, in a life that is in conflict with the structure that we're so used to living with, it creates an internal stress and creates an internal conflict. I mean, we're just, I'm going to unpack this a little bit more so you can, you can catch it. So in this story, there are three structures that are challenged and then changed. One obvious, but not, the others are not so obvious. So what's the first structure that was changed? The house. It's an external structure that could not contain the demand or the need, right? It could not contain the fruit or the, the, what Jesus wanted to do. What's another structure that changed? There's another two. Yes, the religious structure changed. The whole concept of religion was suddenly shifted at that point. Notice Jesus said uh, he had the power to forgive sins. So the whole religious leaders of that time all of a sudden had a major intervention. Something shifted, a concept, a new idea was introduced that literally shattered their world. And we can see today that after the, uh, through the work of Jesus Christ, the whole, religious and the whole religious structure was shifted, it was changed. It was no longer suitable to what Christ wanted to do. That particular structure was not going to contain what God wanted to do. What's the third structure that was changed? Another one. The man's life. Think about the man's life, for example. This man had lived for how long? I, I don't know how long he had lived in the condition, but he was paralyzed. He was completely disconnected. He was powerless in his life. Completely powerless. So what then does that... So what were the structure, or how was his life then arranged or organized or supported? Every day he would have had to live, his whole entire life would have been on the benevolence, dependent upon the benevolence of people. There was nothing he could do to himself. He was disconnected from here down. Gone. It's powerless. So if you think about his, his earning capacity, his capacity to earn a living, previously it would have been what? Begging. His perception, his worldview, everything that kind of made up his life was suddenly shifted in a moment. So his whole internal structure was shifted. One of the things that you'll find through life, wherever you are in life, there'll be transition points where you find how your life was structured up to that point doesn't work anymore. How many of you know what I'm talking about? For example, uh, when I was a kid, when I was a young boy, and leaving school and joining the workforce, uh, and my patterns of behavior or my patterns, my, my life structure inside of me was probably okay, depending on who you talk to, for a little bit, but the moment I started working for, for Pat, uh, my life structure was not suitable. It became in conflict with that. You know, I was lazy. It required an intervention multiple times. 
But my life structure was now no longer suitable for the environment that I was now in. Who had to change, the environment or me? Thanks, Pat. <laughs> I'm eternally indebted to you <laughs> for your graciousness. I mean that sincerity. So something had to shift, and you'll find that through life, there are times when you have to shift your life structure. Where life shifts, the environment, the circumstance now shifts to a point where your thinking, your mindset, your attitude, the way that you do things, the, the way that you feel about things, the way that you see the world, the way that you allocate your time, the way that you allocate your finances, everything that forms your life comes into a point where it's now in contention. Sometimes you're conscious of it, sometimes you're not conscious of it, but you feel the contention around it anyway. How many people know what I'm talking about this morning? So structures, our life, are like the, our, our values, our ideas, our perception, the way that we, our habits, everything about who we are as a person, our life, your life is made up of a particular structure. It's ordered in a particular way. Whether you have ordered it or whether you haven't ordered it, whether it's just by random, whether you subconsciously do it, nevertheless, there is a structure. There is something that holds your life together. Maybe your life, it defends you from things. Some people set up structures to defend themselves. So for this particular person, his obviously he is a weak, he probably would have been the endured uh, ridicule. So he had to would have formed some sort of structure or formed some sort of way in order to defend himself, to defend himself in order to keep his life together. How many people kind of know what I'm talking about? When Another term for it is social defenses. In other words, when there is a weakness in our area, when, it, when there's a particular weakness in our life, often we try and compensate for it for somewhere else. It's a defense. We set up something. We set up a belief system. We set up a habit. We set up, there's something that we set up inside of our life in order to compensate for the weakness in our life. Kind of like the small man, big car syndrome. Often you'll find when people are powerless in a particular area, they'll try and compensate it. They will set up something inside of their life in order to compensate for that, to defend themselves. And you can look at finances. People will set up their finances in a way that is either supportive or constrains potential. How many people know what I'm talking about? You can set your finances up in a way where it releases potential or constrains it. So structure is something that either releases potential or can confine it. It's very quiet in here this morning. So this guy had a major disruption in his life, a major crisis, a major event that would have had an ongoing effect and a change to other parts of his life. It's not just the fact that he got his power back. His whole world, his whole life structure was shattered. So because his whole life had now taken on a whole different meaning, his whole life structure, his values, everything about his life would have had to shift. Otherwise, it could not contain the miracle or the work of God inside of his life. Something had to shift. For example, you cannot he could not carry on the behavior of a beggar now that he's got his feet together. Right? So probably, maybe, some, we're just making a few assumptions here. So at some point, 
Somebody must have been helping him financially somewhere. Maybe it's his friends. Maybe it was family. They say, let's just give this guy some money because he can't help himself. After he's got his feet back, after he's got his power back, it kind of comes to the point, I bet you his friends did not carry on that type of behavior. He now had new potential in his life, but if he remained a beggar in his heart, actually, he may have got his feet back together, but his whole life would have still been confined. I know this is a little bit deep this morning, but it's important that we kind of understand this because actually, this is what shapes our lives. You know, we can pray to God all we like for healing and miracles, but actually, if you're wanting, to, if you're wanting a breakthrough in your life, one of the first things we have to do, one of the most important things that we have to do is to change the structures or the systems within us that created the context, that created our problems in the first place. It's kind of like, Dad, bail me out. Help me here. He says, okay, I'll, I'll help you out, but let's just talk about your work ethic. How about you go get a job? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It's kind of like, it's not just the fact that this particular person got healed. Actually, his whole life had to shift. And for all of us, we find we get a touch of God, but when God touches us, if we remain the same in our thinking, if we remain the same in the way that we live our lives, the potential that is now within us becomes constrained. Enormous potential within us, but yet because of our life structure that we've set around ourselves, it remains confined. All of us have to work through that time and time again. So you'll find that structure shifts through life. You'll find that priorities, your worldview shifts through life. You find as a young person, your worldview, your, your self-concept is not the same as you are if you're 60 or, or somewhere in between. It shifts, it changes. When you've, got a, when you've got a job and you've got responsibilities, your worldview and your systems, your structure internally has to shift in order to sustain or contain this new dimension of life that you're now walking in. When you start to get kids, it shifts again. How many people know what I'm talking about? When your kids leave home, it changes again. When you become grandparents, it kind of changes again. So it's important that we understand that these, our life structures, the way that we live our life are incredibly, uh, incredibly important. The process of bringing an era to a life to a close and initiating the next brings powerful forces for change upon our life structures. So when an era or a dimension of your life now comes to a conclusion, if you do not change, if the internal way of thinking and operating does not change, you'll find that there is contention in, in, in your own heart and in the people around you. It's the realities of life. It's the realities of life. And uh, so think about the structure, think about the, the life structure implications after this moment. The way he saw and felt about himself, totally different. His whole self-concept was different. The way he saw himself was changed. The way that he saw the world around him, completely different. The way he thought the world was now completely just changed overnight. Now what? What will you do? How will you then live your life? And sometimes you find that uh, in the different stages of our life, sometimes we either lose a, a loved one or a crisis happens or a significant shift or change happens in our life. 
And then people come to a place of tension because they're not quite sure what to do because it's in conflict with their life structure, the way that they think about life, the way that they, their values, their expectations. So for this particular guy, as opposed to living off the benevolence of others, the expectations would now shift to now be one that he should fend for himself. This is itself an incredible shift. You can't no longer beg off anyone else. Actually now, the expectation for this man would be that he has to start to fend for himself. If you, when you receive Christ into your heart, a significant shift happens in your life. You can journey for a little while, but you can't, it's got to come to a point where you can't always rely on pastor to supply your spiritual growth. It comes to a point where, actually, no, you have a direct connection with God. You're not, you don't have to come through me. I'm, I'm not the, your great high priest that stands between the blessing of God and... Not at all. But actually, for some people, that's how they carry on. No, you have a direct connection to God. You are responsible for your own faith. You are responsible for ordering your life now to help you fulfill the purpose and plans of God that, that he has in your life. If you continue to operate your life in a way, in the same structure, in the same pattern that you were when you are a new Christian, you'll find that there's great tension there and that the structure, the systems that you set up will not release potential, they will constrain you. Look, you know, I'm, I'm working through this myself too. And, uh, you know, I believe that God has got good things in for me to install, but... I also know that I have to change the way that I view life, the way, the habits, the patterns, everything about who I am as a person. I'm either going to be containing, constraining that potential, or I'm going to be releasing it, depending on how really I structure and order my life. It's my life. I've been entrusted with that gift. So it's, the onus is on me to change my life, to take responsible for my life in order for that to be fulfilled. It's not just about God. It's not just about expecting somebody else to do it. Life structures, it's the underlying pattern of an individual's life at any particular time. Structures within, our heart, our soul, our mind, is the foundation for every other structure. Structures without, in other words, our habits and routines, the things that we do, whatever we do. That's why God says, guard your heart, because out of it flows every issue of life. So our thought process, our emotions, how we, our value system, the way we see life, all of those affects our patterns of our external ones of habits. In other words, what we do, for example, what we do with money, what we spend money on, what we don't spend money on, what we do with our time, what we give our time to, what we don't give our time to, how much we give, how much we allocate, what, what we do, all of those comes from a structure that we've set that have been established inside of our heart. So just because we have a miracle or a touch of God upon our life, that's wonderful. But actually the implications of that means that we have to change our hearts and our lives in order to fulfill the purpose that God has. For me, I know that there's a touch of God in my life. I know the dreams. I, know what, I, I sense what he has in my heart. 
However, one of the things I have to do, one of the things I cannot do, is put the responsibility on anyone else to make that happen. Like, um, like Peter said, he said, you're not restricted, uh, Paul said, you're, you're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections and your, or your own, des- own desires. And there's one of the things that we often try and do, I believe, is when we feel a sense of confinement in our life, we start to blame others for it. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you can't blame others. It's your life. You, you're responsible for it. You're responsible for the decisions that you make. You're responsible for where you spend your time. You're responsible for how you allocate your money. If you want God to transform your life, this is the nuts and bolts of it. These are the things that we've got to do. Uh, you know, even talking with Brian, it's like his accounting. You know, you get people in coming and their businesses and desperate need of a breakthrough. It's like, man, I haven't got no magic pill for you. How did you get to that place in the first place? What was the, what was the thinking behind you that got you to that place where you've lost all your money or you've made some bad choices? Right? It's the same with a plane crash. When a plane crashes, they don't just look at a plane crash and say, that's just silly. Let's put it all back together. No, one of the things that they do is they go back through a whole process because at somewhere, at some point, there's a whole sequence of things that happen. There's a pattern of behavior. There was a pattern. There was a structure that somewhere something got out of joint that created something to happen that eventually led to this. So if, let me tell you as your pastor this morning, if you're looking and believing for change inside of your life, if you're looking for transformational change, one of the first things we've got to do is take responsibility. We've got to take responsibility. Just like this man said, but everybody, everybody said, wow, we have never seen anything like this before. Friends, that can be in our life. That same, wow, we have never seen anything like this before can be in our life nearly on a consistent basis. However, it does mean that when you grow, when God does something and touches you in your life, it means that we've got to also then reflect and say, how then do I need to change? What thinking processes do I need to change? The way that I see myself, the way that I see God, the way that I see church, the way that I see people, the way that I see the world around me. And then what I do with that information, what do I do? How do I structure? How do I order it? It's adjusting, starting to adjust those things. And just looking at, we're just conscious of time at the moment. I don't really want to um, skip, I don't want to uh, skip too much, but it's really important that we, so, so I'll, I'll end up just picking up this another day, but I really want to, today, if you can come to a place where you can start to reflect on your own structures, the way that you, your life is ordered, the way that you think, the way that you're spending your money, the way that you're spending your time, the way that you are defending yourself, where are you compensating in your life for weaknesses? Because it's those places the Holy Spirit wants to come and touch you. One of the things for me, uh, and just in finishing now, is that I, had, I have dreams inside of my heart. Uh, the, you know, a few years ago, I was dreaming that one day this would happen, that I'd be uh, leading here in, in, in the church. However, it was not something that could just happen overnight. I had to 
change my own thinking and, and change my ideas about things. I had to change my habits. I had to change my behavior patterns, my habits, the, the routines I do. So if I'm going to become a bigger person, if I'm going to become a better leader, then I can't continue to, to do some things. There are some things I just have to stop doing. There are other things that I have to start doing. There are places where I have to reallocate my time. For some people here today, if you're looking to, uh, for God to bless you financially, then I encourage you, you might have to just take a good reflection about where you're spending the money that you've got right now. Because it's no lotto who's going to come and fix that for you. One of the things that you'll find is if you win a lotto, the chances are, you know, statistically proven, people end up becoming off in a worse place. Why? Because their life simply hasn't changed in order to fulfill or to meet the new capacity. And I tell you today, with inside of you, there is a gift of God. God has placed a wonderful gift inside every one of you people. Every one of us. There is not one person in this room here this morning that God has not entrusted a wonderful and unique gift. His, I mean, the first one is His Holy Spirit. But there are talents, there are giftings that you have that no one else has. And you may feel a touch of the presence of God. What are you going to do with that? Are we going to be like the man who buries that in the ground because he was afraid and defended himself? Or are we going to be the person that makes herself vulnerable to say, where in my life am I willing to change? What things do I need to let go of? Where do I need to grow? One of the things you'll find is this. We can develop skills by ourselves, but in order to develop our character, we need people around us. <laughs> you can't do it by yourself. My character has been shaped by the people around me. I couldn't, I mean mostly. I needed interaction with people in order to shape my character. It's one of the, this, one of the reasons why we have church. <laughs> we can come together and that we can, like iron sharpens iron, so we can sharpen the countenance of our friends. It's why we have home groups, it's why we have cell groups. Why? It's not, it's not just a thing between you and God. It's, better, it's between, with you and people. So you can open your heart up for people to help you and speak into you. I have people around me that have made a decision that I will allow people to speak into my heart, to the character, to the areas, the blind spots I have in my life. There are people here today who have wonderful financial structures, the way that you spend your money or don't spend your money. Wonderful. You, there's people here that you could learn from and grow from if you're weak in that area. This is about transformational change. For some of you, you've got a dream inside of your heart to use, be powerfully by God. But the way that you're ordering your life is in conflict with that. What's going to change? Who's going to change? Today, I encourage you. I urge you. There's a wonderful future God has for you. The way that you order your life, the way that you build your life will determine whether that gifting will be confined or be released. In other words, we live in the house that we built. 
We shape our environment and the environment starts to shape us. What environment will you shape in your life this week? What things will you need to change? What things should you stop doing? What things should you introduce into your life? What part of your time should you let go and change with something else? It's called evaluation. We evaluate this and we compare it with that. We need to change it. For some people, you may be spending money on the wrong things. Stop spending it there. Start saving it. <laughs> Maybe your time is caught up on Facebook or the internet or doing this or doing that. And it could be done with kids or it could be done with your spouse or it could be spent somewhere else. You live in the house that you build. I live in the house that I built. And I'm just feeling right now the call of God just to say, David, come this far, but what's got you here is not going to take you where you need to be. You need to make some changes. And I've got people around you that love you and that are willing to speak in and shock you. <laughs> You've got people around you that are willing to speak into you and to help you. Will we defend against those people? Or will we embrace their love and their input into our life? Are you defending against the wrong things? Holy Spirit, we just welcome you into our place right now. This place we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, right now we welcome you into our heart. We welcome you into our life structure. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, into our thoughts. We welcome you into our soul, how we, into our decision-making capacity. Holy Spirit, we welcome you that you'd come and that you would just illuminate in our lives what we need to change and what we need to shift. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're just so kind and compassionate. You lead us gently. Holy Spirit, help us to have the courage to embrace change. In Jesus' name. Amen. You all ready for change? God's got better things for you. Don't confine the potential. Turn to the person next to you or behind you or somewhere around. Tell them, release the potential. Don't confine it. 